No two. <laughs> no two. Just get to the point. Get to the point. We're here at the podcast. Yeah, for real. Uh, how was your week, Ashley? What did you What did you get up to? What didn't I get up to? <laughs> I um, had a pretty good week. I I guess the highlights of my week were, or like the most exciting parts of my week, were getting uh, fake lashes, which. I am loving. <laughs> um, they look so good. I thanks. when I was over at your place earlier, I noticed like because I thought you had like these like beautiful strip lashes on, and I don't mean that as like a negative. I really mean that as a compliment because like strip lashes I think are so pretty, and I used to wear them all the time. And people used to ask me if I if they were false lashes, but they were. Or like uh, the extensions like you have, but they were the strip ones. And then I eventually got the extensions too. Um, but I was like, oh my gosh, they look so good. And you're like, yeah, I use my class pass, which I think is so awesome. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, class pass is for what? Fitness and beauty. And I, <laughs> I've been using it for fitness, but I feel like so many points rolled over on Christmas that when I wasn't here that I was just like, I don't want to lose more points. So I'm just going to try something. So um yeah I found a little place that was doing it for like 44 points and she was so fast and it was amazing and I just like fell asleep on the table it was it was like some really nice zen self-care it was awesome um but like that was balanced with the other part of my week which was just terrible um so like I was driving to work on Friday I guess and uh a board, a couple of boards of plywood flew off of the back of a truck in front of me. That literally sounds fake. Like, I thought about that, and I'm like, that that just happens in Final Destination. That doesn't happen in real life. (laughs) I I know. I was just like, that's insane. Look at them. They're in the air. They were like 20 feet in the air, up on the freeway. Um, Definitely saw them coming, but then they landed somewhere, and I was like, okay, like, race for impact like I don't know where they've landed and it was pretty heavy traffic um long story short unfortunately they landed in my lane and unfortunately terrifying yeah it was pretty terrifying honestly like I don't feel like I would have been hit by them but had it been like five seconds faster I probably could have been hit by them uh but I still hit them and unfortunately there were nails um, pretty much unavoidable and ended up with two slashed tires and just like, yeah, did not go into work on Friday. And you you told me you got yourself to Costco even still with two flat tires. How was that trip? Well, <laughs> I guess I'd like to think I'm somewhat resourceful, but I was like, okay, I sat in a gas station for like an hour just being like, what are we going to do here? Maybe not quite an hour, but like close to an hour. And I don't have AAA. Um, Not that I think that it would have helped in this case with two flat tires on the same side. 
Um, but I was like, okay, I've got to do something about this. No one's coming to get me. Like, we don't have another car. And just decided, like, let's look up Costco's. We were going to get new tires anyways. I'm sure there's a Costco here somewhere. Like, maybe luck will be on our side. Luck will be on my side. And sure enough, there was a Costco, like, six-minute drive away. And I was like, thank God. So I just filled my tires, like, to the max and just drove so freaking slow <laughs> with my hazards oh, on. No. <laughs> it oh, was so pathetic. Yeah. What did you do when you got home? Like when when that was all done, did you just like unwind and just pull your hair out and almost cave on drinking alcohol? <laughs> oh my god, yes. I was like, this would be the day I do it. <laughs> but what did I do that night? I think I just made like an extra big bowl of popcorn and I was just like do not talk to me anyone <laughs> like like I said to you I was like basically put my phone on silence or silent for like the last like five days like I have just been like since my tires blew I'm just like what is happening like so many bad vibes so like getting my lashes was just like my attempt to like regain control over my like bad juju <laughs> yeah oh my gosh um what a mood though like <laughs> yeah I feel you um, I'm so sorry you had to go through that, though. Um, that sounds literally like a nightmare. Like, again, it, it sounds straight out of Final Destination, except that, like, you actually got to walk away. <laughs> I honestly feel like it was L.A. being like, OK, this is your final test. You've been here for 11 months. <laughs> and if you can survive this, you can stay for good. <laughs> I feel like it was more like if you leave me again for that long, it will be worse. This is just a warning. <laughs> just yeah, exactly. It was just like, do not, do not mess with me. <laughs> Remember yeah. who is your home. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So survive that. Um, all in all, the rest of my week was pretty dang boring. What about you? Um, yeah, kind of boring week. Um, I got to go. I, I'm trying to keep up with my weekly outdoor activity slash like exercise so I've, I've I feel like I've been pretty good um I went on a hike just um right up to Griffith and then right back down the observatory so there's what is that trail called um Ferndale yes exactly so it's the Ferndale trail yeah it's a pretty quick hike so it only takes about 30 40 minutes if you really take your time um and it goes like right to the top of the Griffith observatory so it's got such a beautiful view of the city, especially on a clear day. And uh, the sun is also shining right on it. So you get like the full sun and it's still kind of like cool-ish. It's like in the 70s, so it's not too hot. So that's really nice. So we did that. And then on Friday, I got the chance to go into the Disney lot in Burbank. That was that was sick. I'm not going to lie. That was really cool. We did get kicked out for taking our time to get to the parking structure on the way back. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I guess let me back up to like the beginning, right? So I get invited to go to a screening of a movie um, that's already been out, but it, this is like through SAG-AFTRA, I think. And um, so I knew this girl through one of my industry groups and... Um, 
yeah so basically she was like I have like a seat like does anyone want to go and I'm like I want to go and then she was like yeah so it's on the Disney lot after I was like that sounds fun right so I was like oh hell yeah this is gonna be great so we get there and the security guard doesn't tell us where to go like she's just like for me she was like parking's over there I was like okay like I like, she didn't tell me where the building was in which I would go see this movie, right? So I was like, all right, I'll figure it out. And then the girl that I met, she said, like, basically the same thing. She was like, no, the security guard didn't say anything about where to go. And so we're like, all right, let's just, like, figure it out. So we start walking around. There's nobody there. There's no security guards. Now, I will I will note that this specific circumstance is very unique for the lot. It's usually, like, crawling with people. But I think that specific time, I don't know. I don't know where anyone was. So we walk around. Like, we're allowed to be there. We had our IDs checked and everything. Like, we're on record. We're not, like, not allowed to be there, right? Um, But we're supposed to go straight to the event. But, like, we're like, where is the event? <laughs> so we're walking around and we notice the buildings have, like, a map on the side. And we're like, cool, let's follow the map. We try and follow the map. It takes us, like, one way. And we're like, where the hell is the building? So when we walk all the way back, to the other side and we're like we see this cute like um disney castle neon sign we take a photo of it and then we're like oh it's right over there because we, we see like the courtyard so we start walking and then um we're like looking for people there's like no one there literally we didn't run into a single person and then finally we see two people kind of around the area of where we think the building is and we're like are you guys here for the screening and they're like oh yeah it's right in here like come down this way um and so inside the building um the coolest part was the second floor, which I did not have access to, but you could see because like the windows are really big. So you can see looking up in the in the second floor, it was like the whole Marvel floor. They had freaking Captain Marvel's costume there, the original Iron Man, like not like the red one, but like the original creation one, like the black one with the orb thing. Like It was nuts. I was That's like... That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was so cool. And then they had this like multi-plane camera in which they shot like Pinocchio and like um not Snow White but like animations like that like um I don't know like early Mickey Mouse right and so the way that this camera shoots is like there's layers um and the bottom layer is the background and then a couple of inches above that is like um the kind of like that tree stuff in between right and then the layer above that is like characters and then the layer above that is like the foreground so it ends up almost looking 3d even though it's a two-dimensional image right once they record it they're just shooting on planes like basically how they always do it like they go and they record it with all these different planes with this special camera looking down no, but it, you can tell this specific type of animation when you think about Pinocchio, where you see, like, Pinocchio go behind, like, something, right? You see him walk behind a doll as if it was three-dimensional. That's, like, the plane in action. Or where, where they zoom out and the trees get bigger, right? Or the trees get smaller. Like, those things. Um, I... I can put up some images on our stories to um, when this episode comes out so I can kind of like show people because I took photos and also like I could totally like Google it and show you guys. But it was so cool. Um, so uh, after the movie was done, um, we were kind of like walking around that 
area of the building that we were allowed to be in. And then someone was like, oh, do you know what this like camera does? And we were like, a little bit, just like what we read. And he was like telling us the whole thing, right? And then we were like, like, who are you? <laughs> like, why do you know this stuff? And he was like, oh, yeah, I used to work here in like the 90s. And we were like, that's so cool. And he's like, yeah, let me show you around. And I was like, we were like, what? Like around like this building or like the lot, like what? And he was like, yeah, I can show you some spots that I know that are open. And I was like, okay, like that sounds cool. So he takes us to this courtyard where they have handprints on like these pillars and they're called Disney legends. Um, I hope I don't get sued for this. What is <laughs> a like- Disney legend? Yeah, exactly. Copy- <laughs> copyright. Yeah, no, I feel like this should be public information. I can Google it. If there's anything not public information, I can delete it. But it's just a lot. It's not like a secret area. Um, But there's like handprints and there is Betty White's handprints there. And I guess it's like people who really contributed to like any of Disney's owned companies. Um, There was like Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. That's Um, really cool. Yeah, so that was really awesome. And then right before we got kicked out, I guess the guy like showing us around was like testing what he could and could not do as an ex-employee. Um, and so he showed us into like one of the animation buildings where you could see they had literally like some original animations from Beauty and the Beast. Like you could touch them and like flip the paper to see how they did like that like multi-page like hand-drawn flip animation. That's insane. It was so cool. But they had, like, concept art and, like, original sketches of 101 Dalmatians. Like, they had everything. Just on the walls. Just on the walls. In a hallway. And then, anyways, um, he's like, all right, let's go to the third floor. Let's go to Walt Disney's office. And we were like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. <laughs> like, we- okay, are we allowed? <laughs> right. Exactly, right? <laughs> and he was like, we definitely cannot get inside, but I can at least show you where it's at. And we're like, Okay. So we start walking down the hallway of the third floor and we hear people talking and it sounds like they're in a meeting. And I'm already like, nah, we're getting kicked out immediately. Like people are we're not interrupting these people who work here. We're just here for like a small thing. And then obviously one of them was a security guard. So they're like, you can't be here. And then the guy was like, oh, I used to work here. Like that whole thing. Right. And she's like, "Okay, but you can't be here. So she escorts us downstairs and then she's like, the parking lot's that way. So we start walking and then one security guard follows up behind us, walks us a couple feet kind of to make sure that we're going in the right place and then kind of like leaves. And then there's a security guard waiting for us at the parking structure door. And then there's like two circulating the parking structure and then there's one on the alternate exit because there's like two exits to the parking garage. So you get out of the exact one you're supposed to. They were like, we are chaperoning these crazy people out of here. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, obviously, we didn't go inside anything that was like private or anything like that. So um, all all of it was like the hallways. Um, We didn't go inside any doors or anything like that. Um, We were pretty respectful. So Um, we actually um, in the building, we got kicked out. We did pass by somebody who worked there who we thought was security. And he didn't say anything. He actually was like, oh, happy Friday. Have a good night. And we were like, okay, cool. Like, like we just, ha- we had our badges on. Like, it, we were not employees. You could tell. We're just like a couple of people like, ooh, look at that. Like, <laughs> so. I bet that lady's like, everyone always tries to come up to the Walt Disney office and 
we don't, that's her you, job. We know that we're not allowed to have them here. And then that's when they get kicked out. Yeah, she's got one job. <laughs> yeah, her job is to protect at all costs anybody who's not a current Disney employee from Yeah, Central. the third floor is her domain. Honestly, yeah. that sounds so sick, though. I, I no, I don't so actually jealous. know if... I don't actually know if he was leading us to Walt Disney's office. Like, who who the heck knows if it's on, like, that specific area? I haven't looked this up either. Um, but either way, getting to see some of this, some of the Disney stuff was pretty cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was Friday. I think you should definitely share some of that on the stories for people. Because I saw it on your personal stories and I was like, that's so wicked. Um, anyways, so that was Friday. And then um, Saturday... I I went on a friend date, um, which was really fun. Um, I think I I feel like I'm kind of getting ready for the Valentine's episode that we're gonna have on Valentine's Day, because uh, Valentine's Day is a Monday. Um, so I'm kind of I feel like I kind of want to prepare mentally a little bit by trying to make more friends. <laughs> so I actually know what I'm you. talking about. That's <laughs> Thank so awesome. You. Yeah. So was it a good date? Good friend date, yeah. I should say. Yeah, it was really fun. We had a lot in common and um, yeah, we just got coffee, pastries and kind of like talked about life and like and kind of introduce each other to who we were. Um, but that was really fun. Um, and then uh, recorded a ton of episodes for a podcast. <laughs> That's what I did. Oh, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. Yeah, I'm actually so stoked about um, about NFTs. Yeah, did you learn anything that you didn't already know from Mike? I learned so much. <laughs> so my prep for the podcast consisted of reading some things um, on the internet, watching a YouTube video or well, two YouTube videos, and having a 15-minute crash course from Mike. <laughs> um, but when we talked to Avery... I think what was really good about talking to her is that she put it into context and she explained the process and she explained why someone might want to be interested in NFTs. So from what I had learned, it was mostly like definitions, just so I wasn't completely like out to lunch in the episode. Um, so she gave it a way more context and way more meaning for me. So yeah, I learned a ton. What about you? Yeah, hard same. Uh, I learned so much especially what a blockchain is, which was like my biggest question. I'm like, what the fuck is a blockchain? Like, why? And I also really liked um, that she was open to talking about the downsides of the whole industry um, and kind of what's going on there in different aspects, um, because I know there's a lot of criticism about NFTs and she addresses a lot of that and honestly provides a lot of hope for me um, in in that whole world. And I really love that we're we're having this topic seen through the eyes of a woman and not um through kind of like um the i mean the industry is so led by men at this point um so kind of having this perspective as a woman and also as a photographer which is really cool because a lot of nfts that i've been exposed to are just digital art um like the monkey she talks about a lot uh what is it the ape thing the ape yeah the computer generated apes yeah, it definitely opened my eyes to the possibilities and like I, it has me curious and it also has me kind of like, should I should I just do something there? Should I? I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can do anything. I don't know if it's affordable, as she explained. But 
I, I'm curious about a lot more than I was in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, what made it so cool is like, because she was walking through it step by step, we were just like, oh, okay, what's minting? Oh, there's a gas fee? Like, this is way more complicated than I initially thought. And I initially thought it was complicated. So um, definitely, I would say that talking to her helped me understand it at a more straightforward level, which is so helpful because you can read online and you can watch videos, but I think unless someone actually like talks it through with you and puts it into context, it's not, you know, quite as valuable. And it was super valuable for me because like I'm in the art space. So her telling me about like what she does with her digital photographs versus her prints of her film photographs and how she can link them t together as one NFT, like that answered so many questions for me because I was like, is it all digital? How can someone who's in a physical space actually get involved in NFTs? And the answer is you can. Yeah, lots of lots of good goodness in there. Just gold, the whole thing. Um, yeah, let's let's just get into it. There's so many things that I could sit here and talk about admiring. Um, I guess like I would preface with like if you're intimidated with this podcast episode um so are we and also um this is like the nft course for dummies like i i have it i have to have things explained to me like a five-year-old sometimes in order to really grasp it so she does give you the like the five-year-old dumbed down version um if you're really intimidated um and it, she really makes a lot of sense of it but i i don't want to expose too much i really want to get you guys um kind of into the meat it's it's a really great episode and if you guys have any questions or any feedback for us on this episode, we'll do our best. Um, come and talk with us on our Instagram page and get, uh, you know, get in the discussion there because this one is definitely going to start some conversations. So she's a Los Angeles-based queer film photographer, uh, and she captures raw moments and the true essence of well-known individuals. But um, her goal is to push the dialogue of unedited photography and a true moment captured in time. So she's been working in the art space and art galleries mainly for six years, but is now moving towards this new and exciting NFT space. So we've got her on the podcast today to talk a bit more about NFTs, art and NFTs, um, and maybe women in this space. So welcome, Avery. Hi, thank you guys for having me. Of course. We're, We're thrilled. So excited that you're here. I'm excited too. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and just expand on um, the little bit that we know about you so far. Uh, okay. Um, yes, you got it right. I'm a film photographer. I also do, do digital photography as well, um, but more so film. Um, I am based out in LA. I've lived in the Midwest my whole life, moved here like three years ago. Um, worked in an art gallery in the Midwest where it was like 
really high-end collecting artists like Hunt Slonum. Then I started working in our gallery here in Los Angeles where it was music-related photography. So it's a lot of collected film photographers from the 1970s and 60s. Uh, Terry O'Neill, all these really amazing collected film photographers of, you know, back in the day capturing rock and roll and stuff like that. So I worked there for a long time as well. Um, But now I'm, I actually moved here to focus on music photography. So it was very different from me or not different, but um, it was a coincidence that I started working for a music photography gallery and I learned a lot. Um, But yeah, uh, that's what I do. And now I'm kind of getting into the world of NFTs and Web 3.0 and decentralized everything. (laughs) That's super cool. So um, tell us a little bit more about like your background. Were you always in the art space? Did you go to school for this? Was this something that you knew you wanted to do? Or did you just kind of fall into the space and love it? Um, I didn't go to college necessarily for art. I did go to um, where I'm from. We had like two years uh, free for a public college, um, community college. And I went from a private high school to a community college uh, where it was paid for if you basically stayed in Tulsa, Oklahoma is where I'm from. So I did a lot of like my gen eds and then I got involved in a lot of art classes and it kind of led me more into the art world I think like you know knowing exactly where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do and then I was like you know this is a waste of time I'm gonna go do everything I want to do now so that's what I did um but I ended up working for you know the art gallery I talked about earlier um for a while and again, it kind of like, it was a realization of what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be. But my photography career started more in like commercial product photography, um, and interior and architecture. So working at the gallery, it was a lot of interior photographing or in situ photographs of artwork on the walls with things, you know, around it showing how to curate a space uh, with artwork. And, um, So I did a lot of photography in that realm for the art gallery and for clients and interior designers that came to our gallery. Um, But I do still love interior photography and architectural photography, but I think I'm viewing it more on film because it's timeless to me, I guess. Um, But uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last six years is photography and um I guess a little bit of like social media and marketing but um yeah that's very cool um you've got another film photographer here um so I love that I love when any photographer specifically is like yeah like you know I I shoot bold but but film is like where my heart is because I can so relate to that yeah I'm always like I I uh, used to be a photographer as like my full-time job um, but I don't do that anymore. Um, but I still carry around like my film point and shoots because I'm like, I, I literally don't like to shoot on, on a digital camera anymore at all. Like I still have my Mark three. I'll still reach for my like crappy film camera. Cause I like the, I like the look of it and I, the feel of it more. I agree. I, um, I honestly started photography with, I mean, I was at the art gallery and it was kind of just like, here, take a picture of this. And then I'd 
be like, oh my God, this is amazing. I love these photos. And then I'm realizing like, oh, it's because I like doing this. It's not because like someone's throwing a camera at me. Like I genuinely like capturing the way these things look and the way the spaces look. Um, and film definitely, I, I didn't even realize it at the time, but before it was like, a fad or something where people are like getting these film cameras I was buying like $30 film cameras off of eBay and now I'm like $30 film camera uh but I was buying these $30 film cameras off of eBay and going around taking pictures and of course I didn't like think to keep the negatives or anything I just was like I'm getting them developed and then I'm sharing them on Facebook which was so stupid um and now I'm like okay so I started with film then switched to digital and now I'm like why did I ever stop using film and I realized it's because I probably a lot of people started also doing it. And I was like, why can't I do that? And I'm like, oh, it's expensive. Though. I was doing that and I just dropped it. It's very expensive. <laughs> That's the only thing that keeps me back from exclusively shooting film. Like if I could shoot as much film as I shoot on my iPhone camera roll, I would be in so much debt. <laughs> I know. And um, my wife actually looked at my phone the other day. She was like, because I got the new iPhone, which is like basically having a digital camera at this point. And uh, she was like, 107,000 photos. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> But yeah, you're right. It's very expensive to, um, you know, I actually, I get my film developed um, at Icon LA, but I don't have them scan it in. I scan in my own um, it's less expensive that way, but it also feels like I have a, li a little bit more involvement in the process. Um, I haven't developed my film. It is something that I want to do, but I also know that I'm probably going to screw it up. <laughs> and I also don't have the space. Yeah, I don't have the space or like the, I don't know. I'm already such a mess. I feel like I'll just like ruin my rug or like my couch or I don't know. I'm like... I can't do that right now. I'll just get it developed. <laughs> My wife, actually, our second bedroom is her art studio, which I get it. She She's a full-time artist, and she paints abstract paintings, and she needs the space. But I'm over here, like, on the dining room table, just like, I can't have a dark room. I need a greenhouse, a dark room. I need... <laughs> and I've yet to really, like, invest in something that's really expensive as equipment. And sometimes I, you know, beat myself up about it. But other times I'm like, you know what, I think it really is all about, you know, your eye and how you, how you experiment with what you're doing. Because I've seen a lot of people with really expensive gear. And sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't really feel anything from that. So it kind of makes me feel a little bit better about like, valuing my work, rather than like valuing it because it's shot with like a really expensive camera or something along the lines but don't hold me to that because if I do buy an expensive camera um <laughs> I mean they say that for any kind of creative thing too right like it's the it's the expert the expert has the craft and can make something beautiful out of the most low quality materials like they say that about um painting like I do watercolor painting and that is true to some extent but man if you have like the best quality paper and the best quality paints and really nice brushes like I mean it looks a bit better but if I'm painting something that's not thought out and isn't well crafted and has no meaning it's gonna look 
pretty crappy on the low quality and the high quality material. So yeah, it's definitely like about the craft and um, the meaning behind it and less about the quality of the, the goods. <laughs> but I still don't know about NFTs. <laughs> Guys, help me understand NFTs. I, I'm, I'll try, I'll do my best. I'm not necessarily the expert, but um, in the art world and I, I've come across a lot of artists kind of like downplaying NFTs. And I think it's out of like envy of digital artists making a lot of money, like Beeple selling, you know, his, his uh, digital art for like $69 million. Of course I'd be jealous, but I'm like, he did it. I can't do anything about it. Yeah. It's kind of the way that the world is moving now. Um, and it's kind of like, are you going to accept it or are you going to be like your grandma that you get annoyed at because she can't use her phone? Like, are you going to be that? <laughs> it's definitely a conscious choice. I agree. It is. That's kind of why I started. Cause you know, I think during 2020, we all heard like NFT, NFT, NFT. And I'm like, what is this? And there was a little bit of resistance. And then I started reading more about it and I was like, this is actually amazing. I don't hate it. Um, and I'm not going to envy anybody that's, you know, making an amazing living off of their NFTs because that's not necessarily the route to go. It's just, yeah, I think it's definitely um, a beneficial tool for artists and digital artists. And um, I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. So what was your original hesitation um, that kept you away from NFTs? Honestly, it was like, the entire thing about digital world, I think. Um, and then uh, I watched a video. Well, first of all, it was very confusing. That actually was my first resistance was like, I don't even know what this means. I don't know what a blockchain is. I don't know what is going on. Like, how do I make one? And do I click on this link or not? Because I'm scared to click on it. <laughs> it's terrifying. Um, like, <laughs> I've looked into it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like a really scary world. And it's still scary. Like, there's still like, I can't go and search like a board ape without thinking, this isn't the real one. Like I'm now someone has access to my entire computer, and they're gonna like take out all my money in my bank account. Um, I definitely, it was the confusing part of it. And then, um, then it was the digital world, necessarily, like talking about the metaverse and all that stuff. Like, is that where I want the world to go. And then I realized we already are in that world with like Instagram, with following with Facebook. And, you know, that is a digital world that we're in. And this is only a decentralized world that we're coming into instead of a centralized authoritarian type of world. Yeah. It's just like grown up club penguin. Like we were already there once upon a time. <laughs> or like, what are the older ones? Oh my gosh. Like Neopets or something. The, uh, yes, Neopets and, um, what was the Nintendo DS? Oh, I Nintendogs, the Nintendo DS right? With my, my little dog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Me too. I loved them. They were my dogs. I took them I to hope the they're park. not dead. I like made sure they were still alive. <laughs> it's been so many years since we've taken care <laughs> and of them. And Tamagotchis. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say Tamagotchis. Oh my God. Yes. Um, that's, you know, we've already been introduced into that world for decades. And it's just another innovative um, thing that's happening. Like, I think 
during 2020. You know how like you sit down sometimes. I know everyone does this. I know I'm not the only person, but I sit down and I'm like, what app could I create and like leave my life behind? What could I do like a Mark Zuckerberg or something and like leave my life behind? And then, you know, I'm like, I thought to myself, what's the newest thing that's going to happen? And it turns out it is going to be NFTs and Web 3.0 and that type of stuff. So I definitely had to read more about it because I had been asking myself that question for a really long time about like, what is the new thing that's going to happen? Yeah, I definitely see a trend on the internet of like, there's always some like rise and fall or like this like flow of like major trends. And it's like, if you don't catch it right at the beginning, right when you're making fun of them, like you're, you're going to like five, 10 years down the line, you're going to be like, damn, they're so successful doing that thing that like I didn't take serious enough. Now I'm going to try and take it serious. And it's like, well, you're going to have to work five times as hard as they did because you waited so long trying to make fun of it. (laughs) That's exactly how I feel. Like, and I already feel late. Like, I already feel like I'm late to the game, but then I keep reading, like, you're in the 1997 phase of the internet, so don't worry. And I think about, I'm like, I did buy into SHIB crypto during its, like, highs, and then, of course, it, like, dropped. But I think about it, and I'm like, if only I put in $100 in 2020, I would have been, like, a multimillionaire. And, like, why didn't I jump on that? Why didn't I research more about that? Because that would have been amazing. Which one is that? Shiv, Shiba, Shiba Inu. I'm not familiar with that one. It's like, it had like a really big... Oh. Yeah, the Shiba, Shiba Inu, sorry. Is that like Dogecoin? There was Dogecoin, which I... Or is that different? No, it's it's like a, it's an altcoin is what they're called. And um, they also call them shitcoins. But um, the Doge Dogecoin I did get into. And I only wish that I put in more money because I actually like it was a great decision at the time for my $10 to <laughs> become 300. But if I see if I put in like more money, I would have actually like walked away with a lot if I had to like trusted my gut. Um, but <laughs> I didn't at one point it became $800 with my like what? measly $10 investment, which is great. Um, and I didn't I didn't sell it at 800. So there's no wow in that because I was still learning. But um, when SHIB was being talked about a lot, I bought into it. But then, you know, when it hit its high, it was like, you know, the person who put in on a dare, they put in like $100 in 2020. And then they quit their job as like a construction worker or whatever, because he's now a multimillionaire. And I'm like, Oh my God, why wouldn't I like do this? What's happening? So there's like a lot of time now I spend researching altcoins and like, what can I do? Yeah, there are whole like Reddit threads of those, uh, like exactly what to do. Isn't that what happened with, I'm like pulling out all of my like boy knowledge of all the stuff that I've, <laughs> I'm like, is is that what happened with like AMC, right? Or I guess that's not an altcoin, but yeah, that, no, those are what those threads are there for. It's pretty much exactly what happened with AMC because, um, yeah, AMC was at like its all time low and a lot of people and I and a lot of people call it like and it's illegal to do but you know tell other people to like invest in it because it's at its all-time low um which I did invest in AMC and it was not a lot of money at the time I see I learned from my mistakes um so I think it was like at three dollars at one point which I think it was lower than that when I invested I think it was like three dollars and then it rose to like sixty dollars so the people that put in like a thousand, two thousand, like they've made a lot of money from AMC. 
Um, but yeah, AMC is a stock and um, not a crypto, but um, it was definitely a smart decision for people. But that was like the GameStop, the AMC, all that stuff that people, I think, just started doing in 2020, just all together and discussing like, you know, how can we, I think it was mostly our generation too, that was like, how can we make money in like the stock market? Oh, let's just talk about it. So maybe this is a good time to like do the dry stuff and give like the definitions on, on different terms. Like what is crypto? What's an NFT? What is the blockchain? Okay. So a NFT is a non fungible token. Um, it's unique and non-replaceable, uh, sometimes referred to like diamonds. Um, but it also makes me think like an easy way for me to understand it was I have like, I have this huge thing of coins. Um, and I came across this TikTok of this guy that was like, if you go through your coins, you can see like which coin is minted differently and that makes it more valuable. So it's not just a fungible coin anymore. It's actually like a non-fungible coin because it's minted unique. Um, so I have this, like, I go through all my coins and I find this, uh, 1937, D wait no was it a D I can't remember I remember it was 1937 Buffalo coin which if you have the 1937 D minted um Buffalo coin and it has instead of four legs it has three legs it's worth a thousand dollars not one penny so here I am like looking at my 1937 I think it says D on it because it was like everything but the three legs and I'm like dang it I found this penny on the ground it has four legs not three legs like it could totally be worth a thousand dollars and it's not so kind of makes me think of that like coin collecting all these things that are valuable and they are collectibles um and they can't be they can't be like replaced um, because the other way to think about it is like a fungible thing is a hundred dollars of gold swapped out for another hundred dollars of gold is worth the same amount. Like gold is worth the same amount constantly. Right. So th- those are such good examples. Um, especially for someone who's just trying to get into it. I, the example I heard when I was trying to understand was like, um, a $10 bill and two fives like you can exchange one for the other two. That's the same thing. Um, but perhaps something that you couldn't exchange one for the other is like a movie ticket for the value, like same, same, but it's not really the identical thing that you're, you're, um, giving to someone. So it's, it's not replaceable. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. It's, Pretty much like, I mean, and a really good way to think of it too is like a diamond. You could have a diamond and I could have a diamond, but someone's going to look at that diamond and be like, oh, like this one's worth this much and that one's worth this much. Like you're right. Money is a fungible currency. My dollar is worth the same amount as your dollar. And we're going to just buy stuff with our $1. But if it's, if it's minted differently, which is how I think of it, like coins, if you know, there was a mess up in the minting of like a penny, then that makes it more valuable because there's only so many of those. So um, that's pretty much what the non-fungible and fungible thing is behind it. But it is pretty much like a collectible. 
Now, what would be the difference between um, like this digital art? Um, would you consider art gallery pieces, like physical art pieces, fungible as well? No, all, all artwork is non-fungible. So all artwork that is physical too, which is why I'm like, you know, I do see a lot of artists crap talking NFTs and I'm like, you know, physical artwork is also a non-fungible piece of work. Like you, you, this piece is not going to be the same amount as this piece. And you could market that way. You could say like, hey, this is $150, that's $150. But once it's sold to a person, like value still goes up. The things um, used behind it, like the mediums, you, you know, when you watch like, um, what are those shows where they, uh, they like go to um, one of those people that tell them. Oh, like Storage Wars? Yeah, like something like that where they're like. Or like the antique one? Yeah, like yeah. I have an old Picasso, like how much is this worth or something like that, you know. Um, it's pretty much an appraised, you can appraise a piece of artwork, you can like pieces of land I think are also like non-fungible real estate's non-fungible so it's like not worth the same amount for every single thing yeah I I super appreciate um kind of giving alternate examples because I say the same thing like just on TikTok on Twitter like people who don't take NFTs seriously um are saying like oh they're making jokes like here is my NFT and it's like a piece of art and they're like trying to be like so overly humorous about it. But it's like, no, that's literally what it is though. It's like, it, it can't be that funny if, if all you're doing is like talking about reality, like you're just putting a silly voice over it. <laughs> like that's it. Um, and I think like the more that artists understand that they can do both, like they don't have to exclusively do NFTs. They don't have to exclusively do physical art. Like they can mix and play around. Like, they're not allowing themselves to explore an alternate medium, which I feel like is a loss for an artist because like one, they can express themselves in alternate ways that I'm sure their audience would appreciate and that they would appreciate, but two, that they can get like some serious cash from it. Why wouldn't an artist like a struggling industry as it is want to do something to uh, help their, help their craft and help them do the thing that they want to do even more. I 100% agree with you. And I've come across those videos as well, where they're just like, you know, they talk so badly about NFTs. And I guess there are definitely like, when you think about the ecosystem and stuff like that, of like the NFT world, there definitely are cons to how, how it's being the processes of it. But at the same time, like, I think those things are going to be worked out eventually. I think that we will figure out better ways to do it, especially with our generation. Like it is something we think about because of what we've done before in the past and, you know, uh, gasoline and oil and stuff like that. So I think that that con will be fixed out eventually. Um, but yes, I 100% agree with the people who, you know, are talking so badly about it. And then I'm like, you are going to not want to watch this over in like a year or two years like you're gonna be like why didn't I jump on that instead I was like crap talking nfts and I agree that like it's just another world that you can get involved in and um eventually like it's also creative for an artist to think of a way how they can like create an nft project it's also like a creative outlet as well not just in your physical art but in digital art and also digital art or physical art becoming digital art you can still take a picture of your artwork 
and mint it as an NFT. And you can still actually sell your artwork physically within the NFT. You can, like on OpenSea, I did this with my wife because she's a painter, but um, I took a picture of one of her pieces and uploaded it. And in the unlockable content, you can create like a document so you can exchange like shipping information. So you can actually sell your physical artwork in NFT. It's just minted into the Ethereum blockchain. So there are like ways for artists to actually sell artwork in the NFT world and physical artwork as well. Um, But I guess we'll touch base on what a blockchain is. (laughs) I was just going to say, I have a lot of questions about what you just said, but maybe we should talk about um, blockchain, maybe a brief definition on crypto for those who are really new. Cryptocurrency is an easy way to think of it because I don't have the right definition for it in front of me, but um, it's really investing in projects. So you're investing in like decentralized projects. So for example, there is a um, project called XRP, but that's just like the crypto name for it. It's really called like Ripple and it's supposed to help with transactions. There's another decentralized project called, um, uh, or it's called Polygon and um, it helps the Ethereum blockchain with a bunch of things that are really boring to hear about. And then there's another one, which is Decentraland. Um, So it's called MANA, M-A-N-A, in the crypto world. And that's what people um, purchase land with in the metaverse. So it's all these different projects that you're basically putting your money into as cryptocurrency. But um, it's not, it's... It's like a way you can like keep it as an investment, but you can also like use your tokens to buy stuff in the metaverse. So like if I have a thousand mana coins, I might be able to buy like 500 coins worth of land in the metaverse with it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I have a couple list of buzzwords that I would just like you to explain Um, because I I know we're like touching on a lot of things like Ashley was saying. Um, So let's back up just a little bit. Um, So what is minting when it comes to digital art? Minting is, um, minting is basically, uh, it's hard to explain, but for example, like when I put my artwork onto OpenSea, um, it has a specific address, like kind of like you and I have like a social security number and like no one else is supposed to have it. Um, it's pretty much minted with a certification of like authenticity and ownership. Um, so basically that's what minting is. It's very similar to like coins being minted. Like when, when coins are being minted out of something, like they have a specific, you know, stamp on them or whatever. So it's pretty much that you are making a piece, a permanent ownership item, and it's being minted within a blockchain, which is basically like a ledger, a decentralized ledger. Um, That's pretty much, I feel like. What is a blockchain? Did you, did you already explain what that is? I didn't, but I do have notes. So, um, it's a shared immutable ledger. Um, and Ethereum is a blockchain, Solana is a blockchain. Uh, the pros of having that is there's no centralized authority. So it's basically um, it's basically 
uh, the last chance of corruption. And um, it's like a team vote. It's something that's like, I'm going to need like a five-year-old. Yeah, I'm going to need like a five-year-old explanation. Because <laughs> like, I was talking to Mike, and I am so confused by this, but he gave something I could just say it and then it might sp- like spark something but so um my partner is has an accounting background and now he's like in cfo stuff and he was interested in all of the nft world the cryptocurrency and blockchain and i was like okay what is the five-year-old definition of this and he was like um yes it's a decentralized or it's a centralized ledger yeah and when you think about like a bank, that's like a private ledger. So you have the money going in, money coming out. They record it. It's private to that bank. It's between you and the bank. And if you want to access it, you have to go to your bank and your bank has that that um, written documentation of all the receipts mm-hmm. of the money transactions. If you're using cryptocurrency, you're using this centralized public database that records anyone who's ever used that currency to buy anything with that currency. And it's available to the public. That's kind of decentralized. So essentially okay. a public record. Explain 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 what I got wrong. <laughs> no only the decentralized part. I think you said it was the centralized. Um but yeah, there's there's no one person like yeah, you're right. When you go to a bank, that bank is, you know, a, a centralized um kind of like a one person owned type of company. You have CEOs, you have presidents, you have people who call the shots behind it. And I can't go and see like other people's transactions, which is also scary to think about. But at the same time, it makes it less corrupt. So I like a decentralized ledger is I can see the number of the ownership. Like I can see someone's um, type of like address with it. Like it's like I have an address that's my Coinbase wallet and it's in the Ethereum blockchain. So if someone wanted to see like necessarily, they don't have my name, they don't have my address, they don't have any of that, but they can see that it is owned by a specific person for a certain amount of money. And I, it'll show if I send that to someone else, it will show if a person sent me that back, it'll show everything behind it, which makes it a little less corrupt because we can't see that stuff right now. So that's like, like a, a bank. bank account number. Yes. So what is exactly being purchased that people can see? Is it just digital art? Is it, I think what I was watching the other day was like, there is now real estate in in this digital world um, that's being sold and dealt. Um, So can you touch a little bit on like what specifically is being bought and sold within Ethereum? Yeah, um, pretty much if you want to buy anything with Ethereum and you have a wallet to do it, you can buy it. So like technically if I like, Technically, if I owned a piece of land and I was like, yeah, I'm going to sell it to you. I'm sure definitely there's things on the back end that you'd have to like do, but you can buy it with Ethereum. Like I will do photos for Bitcoin. I will do photos for Ethereum and I will be paid in Ethereum. I will be paid in Bitcoin. So you can pretty much buy anything you want with it. And pretty soon I feel like the world's going to come to like, you can go to your local coffee shop and you can buy coffee with Ethereum. Like you can buy you can buy AMC tickets with Shiba Inu coins right now. So you can pretty much buy anything with it, but 
NFTs are obviously something you can buy. Real estate is something you can buy. But I think a lot of the real estate um, people are talking about with that is inside the metaverse. But I could be wrong. Which was my next question. I wanted to know if you can explain what the metaverse is beyond like whatever Mark Zuckerberg is doing. <laughs> I don't know if I can explain it the best. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, I think it'll be a better place, um, to go to, because I think we, like you said, with like nano pets and all that stuff, like we've already gotten on the computer and like gone to hang out with people. Um, but I think in the future, it'll be something, uh, a lot cooler, uh, corporate meetings, um, you know, parties and stuff like that. But I've never gone to a virtual world with like a virtual headset and been able to like lift my arms and make my own movements, which is very different from what I think we've grown up with. So it's pretty much like that. Um, and it is, I also am like resistant to it, but I'm also embracing the fact that, you know, I live a thousand miles away from my best friends and you know, if I could hang out with them and be like myself and like move around and they can talk to me and maybe in 10 years, it won't be as like pixelated or whatever. That's awesome. I think I'd love to do that. And you can like teleport to different areas and like hang out with people. You can like build your own home. Like you can have all this really cool stuff. So I think that world is, um, it could be really fun. But um, that's pretty much like a metaverse. It's just another digital virtual world that you can like go out and hang out and go to parties and be invited to like parties and art galleries. A lot of art galleries are in the metaverse too. Yeah, that's so crazy. Um, so that that does lead into kind of like my last buzzword question. You did mention this earlier, but I think it's really important conversation to have. Can you explain what Web3 is? Web3 is a decentralized um, type of internet. So like that actually brings me to think about what I wanted to mention in here about how like as a photographer, um, Instagram is a centralized web front. So like the front end is, <clears throat> it's uh, a little hard to explain, but we've been in Web 2.0 forever. So everything that we're on is owned by a certain company, which is a centralized company, Facebook, um, Instagram, which I guess is the same thing at this point, but like even Dropbox or Shopify, those are all web 2.0 centralized owned companies and web 3.0 is a decentralized company run, ran on the, on a blockchain. So like the Ethereum blockchain and there's different, um, it's it's definitely a engineer question, which I am looking into like development of those things. But um, it's it's definitely something that is going to be huge, but it's already been talked about since like 2014. So we're actually like, it's not new necessarily, but it is, um, it's becoming bigger because of cryptocurrency and because of the decentralized world in general along with dApps, which are like de-applications, decentralized applications as well. It seems that you can use cryptocurrency to buy just about anything, in theory, if that person selling it is using that currency. And you can use cryptocurrencies to buy NFTs, but you don't have to. 
And NFTs could be just about anything, but they could also be something digital. Is that like the right way of seeing all those things? In some way, um, like like you said, like anything could be an NFT. Um, there was like, I don't remember who he was, but he was like some famous guy sold like a tweet as an NFT and made like a million dollars or something. So technically, when you think about it, yeah, I could take a picture. If I was like an influencer or I had like some type of like large following that just wanted to be a part of whatever I did, then yeah, I could take a picture of like my cup of coffee and put it on like OpenSea and be like, it's worth two Ethereum, (laughs) you know, but I'm, that's never going to happen. But technically, yes, you can, you can mint, you could like, you know, put a picture mint it into the blockchain you have ownership over this certain thing um and yeah it's your nft it's your non-fungible token so it doesn't have to be digital art it's just because we are on a digital platform that we're seeing it digitally so the one thing that's still confusing for me is like the difference between the physical and the digital because with an nft i thought you were buying like the ownership or like you're getting the receipt for purchasing the NFT. So when it comes to physical NFT versus a digital NFT, and you were saying before you could ship um, a physical piece of art as an NFT, you could also send digitally the digital piece of art. That would be a different NFT. Like what's the distinction on uh, owning a physical NFT versus owning the receipt to say you, you have ownership of an NFT? I think of it like in that explanation with like the art world, I think of the receipt as kind of like your letter of authenticity. So in the physical world, when you sell artwork, you generally get a letter of authenticity because a lot of people buy artwork as investments or a lot of people with money buy artwork as an investment. They receive their letter of authenticity. And without that, you kind of can question whether or not that thing is real or not. So In the art world, if you, you know, you're painting, you want to sell your artwork and you made unlockable content, which means like if you put your artwork onto OpenSea and I buy it from you and it has unlockable content, I now purchase it and I'm the owner and I'm the only one that can unlock this content. So as the owner, I now can like tell you, yes, this is my address. And not a lot of people do do it this way. It's just a way that artists can sell their artwork and I think it's also like I think it's also like a question for themselves on if they feel comfortable selling it in a physical form or a digital form so I think that's up to an artist to ship their piece out physically or have it be just like a digital piece of you know art and NFT but basically yes you're right it's it's basically the receipt but it's the ownership is, I think, the important part of it because only one person can now have that smart contract behind the NFT. And I think that's what makes the entire thing important. Yeah, I think that explains it. And um, the authenticity, uh, the letter of authenticity, I think makes sense for the physical art. Um, Curious to know, like, is it common for someone who's who's selling art as an NFT to sell the physical piece and the digital piece to two different owners? Or does that defeat the purpose of an NFT because it's not unique at that point? 
in my opinion, which I don't know a lot of people that actually do ship out their artwork, but in my opinion, if, you know, the person is buying that piece and they have the unlockable content to ship that artwork out, that should be the person that gets it. Um, and if you, it, I would call it like a rug pull, which is like a term of um, like corruption. If you basically sell someone an NFT and they have unlockable content to like get that piece then you sell it to someone else like you're not really following through but I also wouldn't recommend selling a physical artwork and having just an NFT version of or a picture of that if it were different like if you made the abstract piece like more animated and they had this animation NFT version of your artwork then that would be different it would be unique and that could not necessarily have like the physical art behind it you could sell the physical art piece but a lot of artists they will um they'll take a picture of their artwork and then they'll burn the physical piece they'll actually like ruin the physical piece so like it it also makes it unique in a way that like no one can ever have that piece again it is just an nft yeah that's so wild like I was thinking about it for myself and I was like, do I have to just shred my art when I scan it? Is that, do people do that? They do there. I mean, it's definitely an option. Um, and I think it's an option to show kind of like, you know, this is what is going to happen to the piece afterwards. It's not going to be owned by anyone else. So I think that's just a way to like further, um, have like validity in what you're doing. But, um, Yeah, that's definitely something that people have done before, I think. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in crypto and NFTs in the beginning, um, because you come from uh, a physical art space. Um, Yeah, tell us what that transition was like, what piqued your interest? What piqued my interest, I think, is the ownership behind artwork in the NFT world. So um, I think, okay, so being a photographer, and I think for all of us, we get on Instagram. And this was kind of like the realization for me that maybe Instagram isn't the best tool to use as a creative. Um, And my reasons behind that is I thought about it and I'm like, okay, so I take pictures and I just post them onto Instagram. And there's really no incentive but to show what I could do. Why do I do that when I have like, I could have more of an incentive or like a not necessarily like a copyright but like I'm giving Instagram my pictures and I'm like letting everyone see them and they could repost them and all that type of stuff and it's like do I value my work more than that it was really the question behind what made me want to get into an NFT and I'm by no means like bored ape or like you know something that's like a project that's like racking in millions or anything but I think it's just a way for me to ask myself, like, how do I value my work? And how do I want it to be shared digitally? And Instagram, like, you know, Instagram and Facebook, we've been posting these things that we love or that we create. And we've just been like, letting everyone have it. 
and people can like screenshot and they can copy it. and then now they could screenshot and take it to you know OpenSea and like create their own um data behind it and I'm like but it's mine so I like the ownership behind uh behind the NFT world so as a photographer I can create series on OpenSea mint them before I actually post them onto Instagram because those are my work and I want that to have I want it to have that certification behind it I want it to have that smart contract behind it rather than just like look what I can do here's my picture and like you know it just seems so devalued to be able to be copied and like you know there's the copyright issues with Instagram like a magazine can embed my work into an article and I also just am like that's mine that needs to be you know there needs to be some type of ownership behind it so I think to answer your question it was it was the definitely just the ownership behind my work and how I value it versus um what we've been doing and how we've and I know that Instagram has had a bad um rap for it but it's like it's my work, <laughs> but I, but I've been giving it to them. So I can't really be mad. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I'm glad that you made that, that point too. Um, is OpenSea, uh, like a digital art gallery. You keep talking about that, but I'm not really sure what that is. OpenSea is just the one that I use to, um, to basically create my NFTs. There's definitely a lot of different areas on the internet to do it. OpenSea is the one I used. Again, it was very confusing to get into, in the beginning, and um, OpenSea was just the first one that was talked about a lot. Um, and there's different ways to like do it. I the way that I did it in the beginning, you have to have um, a gas fee, and I'm sure you guys have heard of like the gas fees. So when you get on like when you mint an NFT, like you have to pay a gas fee, which I guess is like its way of weeding out people who aren't serious to like it's not just an Instagram account like you're actually putting NFTs out into the world so you're putting an NFT in a smart contract into the blockchain and you have to pay like a gas fee my gas fee was like $140 for my one NFT because I was serious about it and that was the lowest cost that I could find at that moment because it changed all the time so even like, I think I started doing the NFT like this summer. So six months before that, it was like $20 gas fee to like mint your work into NFT or you like have an NFT. But I finally like, like if you ever do it, you get onto OpenSea, you like link your wallet. And I'm like, okay, great. I've got it up. I've written down like everything about this piece. And then it's like, okay, signature is $140 gas fee. But like before that, it was like 340 It was like $380, $400. I'm like, oh my God, do I want to do this? <laughs> but I did really want to do it. So $140 was the lowest gas fee that I could get at the time. And um, after that, there was one other gas fee, which I think they've changed now, but it was like an $18 gas fee um, to mint like another piece of work. But now they've changed it too. And they told, like, I kept reading that the, that system was going to change over time. I still think that you might have to do, like, an initial gas fee to mint your first NFT to, like, weed out serious and not serious. Um, and that's with Ethereum only. Uh, but now I, like, minted more work and um, 
it, it was like basically telling me that when it sells, it will take that transaction out of the sale instead of, and I think it's just like a percentage of the sale. But um, there's another way, which not a lot of people take serious, but it's Polygon. And so you have like Ethereum and Polygon currencies on OpenSea. Ethereum is the one that you have to like pay a gas fee for and Polygon you don't. So a lot of people think, okay, Ethereum's obviously like the more serious people because they're paying for that stuff to be on here versus the non-gas fee where like you could just post whatever you want. Um, but they're both like, you know, worth the same amount of money if you put it that way, but not necessarily. So it's very confusing, but um, there's gas fee and no gas fee options. What determines a gas fee? Like, um, like how, why is it going up? What, what contributes to the price changing? How do you know it's changing? Why is there a gas fee when you use cryptocurrency? Like what, who gets that money? Do you know about that? To be honest, I don't. Um, but I do know that it was, it's basically like this, it kept talking about like the seconds it takes. So like, you think of the Ethereum blockchain and you think of like all these computers running and like all this stuff. This is what goes through my head when doing it. And I also did not look this up, but the gas fee is like kind of an Ethereum type of transaction fee. And it changes, I think, based on um, the price and also how many things are being minted at once. So like, I think of it as like getting onto a subway, but like, there's a lot of people in front of you and you're like waiting for your line to like get in. So like your piece of artwork is like trickling down this line of other people to this like crazy blockchain of um, energy. So basically that's how I thought of that. That's how I imagine it. But um, it's people hate it. It's like awful. Well, I feel like that's a huge incentive to get started really early. Right. Cause it's like, I mean, in theory, if it's changing based on how many people are in front of you, the more people that are trying to do it, it's just going to continue to go up. So and I definitely think that's a huge incentive to get in on it early. That's kind of like, that's why I started in the summertime because like I, I found $140 and it was like $400 and I was, yeah, okay, take my money. I want an NFT. Um, and I think things have changed. I haven't really looked into like a lot of it, but just like every digital platform, like it's ever changing. So I'm not sure if like gas fees are a thing right now. I'm not even sure if like, you know, I, I have no idea, but I do understand that it is something a lot of people pay for. And you're right. Like in the beginning, it was so cheap and now it's like, holy crap. And I know that you have to pay one, like when you buy it, uh, when you buy an NFT, like you have to pay a gas price. So it's annoying. I was also talking to my partner about, this just to try to get a sense of like some of the basics and I doubt I'm completely right but he was saying that the gas fee is um going towards the miners so like the people who are mining cryptocurrency bitcoin I guess was his example they're mining bitcoin and they're the ones that are like getting the computers to plug through and solve the algorithm math problems and it takes a certain amount of processing power to do that so the gas money that people are paying... Now, I don't know if it's the same gas money that you're paying to get your um, products or your NFTs on the marketplaces like OpenSea, but I I know that somewhere along the line, the miners are getting the 
gas fees paid to them because they're the ones like no I think that's actually like completely right it's a it's like a minor fee it's the mining of the blockchain and you know all the computers running and there are people that have like mining systems set up in their home for bitcoin and for ethereum so there's that's where the I think necessarily yeah that's like where the fee is going completely can we explain what mining is and how you mine in uh, crypto? I don't know. Like, what is that? I honestly, I'm going to plead the fifth. Is that how you like don't talk For sure. I'm like, I have no idea what the mining fee, like mining. I feel like it's like a computer way of like energy. So, you know, you think of, I think the term comes from, you know, an old way of getting coal and, and keeping our energy system going. So like, it's basically the same thing in a digital way. So it's like a computer system mining energy and, um, and you're not a coal miner. <laughs> So this is where people get upset with crypto and with NFTs causing environmental damage. Is that correct? Yeah. I think what the key to that is that people are still using like physical real world energy, like coal mines to power computers to run the algorithms to mine cryptocurrencies. So you're using like the physical world. I watched a video of a guy that is actually mining, I think he's mining Ethereum and he has like a whole computer system set up and it's run by cow manure. So cow manure instead of coal and like all these other environmental things, like he found a way to like make it more eco-friendly, I guess. I have no idea how he did that. But like I said, I think that these like environmental issues will, will end up fixing itself somehow with I think more people jumping in, in on it and smart, uh, environmentally, like friendly enthusiasts, like type of people who want to jump into the like cryptocurrency NFT world and help it. Like, I think like that's amazing. And there definitely should be more people who want to be a part of like, how can I make this better for the world? Um, yeah, that's a really good point. One really cool effort I've seen is people moving their crypto powers like onto um, places that are already set up for that. So if you think of like Iceland, if you want to have big computers powered by something sustainable, they have geothermal energy to power the computers. And then they have cool temperatures that keep the computers from overheating and from losing, you know, all that extra energy to the outside world. I think just um, really thoughtful designs and people who care about this there's a lot of options and Iceland just being like one manifestation of that not only that too but like yeah 100% I think um, the more people that get into that but also like there can be other blockchains so like if someone wants to make a more environmentally friendly it could probably take off bigger than Bitcoin at this point because that is a con so you know, I think a lot of, you know, the generation before us and stuff like that can think of like, what's a blockchain? Like, we love decentralized, we love the concept, but how can we like make it better for the environment? Now, like, I'm waiting for that person to jump in and change the world. I think what I've noticed with crypto, with NFTs, with Web3, is it's making it more accessible to the 99%. Like, like up until really recently, like the only way to really make money was to 
be a Jeff Bezos, to be just like a traditional businessman who uses labor for money kind of thing. But I'm seeing with the growth of crypto and the growth of NFTs, like there are ways to make money that are that are not like squashing on somebody else necessarily. Like it's it's making it accessible to be able to create a good living for yourself. Do you see that pattern as well? I do. And I do because I think I think because of the word decentralized. Um and you know, everything else was all by one person. They um they have the like say in what's happening. And now this is more of like a team effort on what's going to be happening. Um, so I think crypto, yeah, it's given, it's given a lot of people the ability, especially the people that like invested early into crypto. It, it's now giving them this leverage of being able to do what they want. And I think that, you know, we've all realized that too during COVID, like we have that ability to like slow down and ask ourselves, like, what do we want to do? Well, like a lot of people were being paid on unemployment to like just sit at home and not get sick so it was a real big change for us and I feel like you know the 99% people yeah they've been uh they've been making people go to work they've been making them do all this stuff which is fine there's definitely stuff that needs to happen for for working um and making money but I think like just on a like humanitarian way like doing stuff that makes you happy and crypto has given people the leverage with that. Um, people in projects and also investing in projects. I think all of that is giving people the ability to like live life in like a happy way and not have to like, and NFTs, people who are selling their artwork, 14 year olds that are like making millions of dollars, like selling artwork. Like it's really amazing to think that like that many people can like believe in you and want to be a part of what you're doing and I think that's like the beauty in it yeah I really love that um I want to touch slightly on some of like we kind of did a little bit but I kind of want to touch on like the negative aspects of crypto of nfts um because a lot of what I'm seeing is um these like make funny make money fast scams basically like they'll create like their entire coin where they're like hey like this coin is gonna blow up and it's gonna make you a millionaire and then they suck all of that money like millions like 50 million 100 million dollars at a time that they're literally scamming people out of so how does that happen how do you avoid it there's i have so many thoughts on this um which is actually i think why the crypto market is down right now because of um, the feds wanting more regulation on cryptocurrency, um, which can be a good thing and can be a bad thing because technically it's decentralized. So there's not really like, you know, a, a way you can do that um, being decentralized. Uh, but my thoughts on it are I hate it because, again, like I can't click on any links and you know, like, do I go to Decentraland.com or Decentraland.org? Like, it's .org. It's not .com. You're going to get scammed if you go to .com. Don't do that. So it's like, yeah, there's these rug pulls. There's all this stuff, but it's not regulated. So my biggest thing on this is kind of like what I did. I know it's, like, male dominant, but um, I am in a crypto group. So there's a lot of people in a community, which I guess that goes back to, like, being in a community because it is hard to like ask yourself and like do these questions and like experience the scams when other people like have a story for you. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's being in a community of people that are like there to help you. And like, yeah, these guys sometimes don't answer my questions when I, you know, go into the WhatsApp, but sometimes they do. Um, if I like, you know, I asked a question about being in the metaverse and they told me about the .org, not .com. So there are definitely good people out there. And I think that that's also like, it can be an advantage and a disadvantage because it makes you become a person in the community versus like trusting everyone on the internet. So you're like putting trust in people and there's like, there's just this like kind of beautiful friendship that comes out of it because you're trusting people. Um, But then again, it is like, it's just scary and there's so many fake NFTs. There's so many like rug pulls when it comes to cryptocurrency and like get rich quick. Uh, and you just have to like find the right people to like give you the right answers. And you also just have to like experience it yourself and be like, okay, I just lost money. My brother actually, he invested in Shiba Inu and he invested two grand and like in a month it became like eight grand. And he was like, I'm going to day trade. I'm going to do this. Well, he wasn't paying attention and he sent all of his money to a address that isn't a wallet address. So like he just like gave his money away and it was on a platform that's like not good. Um, and it's not like the platform is like a scam platform. It's just not built correctly. So like they didn't have an error notification come up saying like, this isn't like a wallet address. It just was like, okay, thanks. So he sent it there and he like asked the people that own, I think it was like Bitmart. It's called Bitmart. And he like, um, he asked them to like fix it or whatever, like give him back his money. And they said, okay, for point oh, like 0.003 Bitcoin or something. It was like $300 of Bitcoin that he had to buy to send to them to get his money back, but he still has yet to receive it. So it's like, yeah, you can still buy like cryptocurrency on these like bad websites, but like you have to be careful and is it worth it? So you really have to be like, is it worth it to possibly lose all my money? And the answer is no. And to be a part of a community of people that like have the answers for you, I think is like, the direction that's heading. But yeah, the crypto market's down because of regulations that want to be in place or should be in place. And there's a lot of people that say it's a good idea. And there's a lot of people say it's a bad idea. Is it a good idea from the standpoint that cryptocurrency is really ideal for organized crime? I'm not really sure. <laughs> that's what comes to mind. <laughs> yes. And I think like, I mean, I remember in like 2012 or 2013, when I was working at the art gallery and the director of the gallery was like, should we accept Bitcoin? And everyone's like, no, that's for like drug lords. What are you doing? Like, of course, if I would have invested in Bitcoin in 2012, are you kidding me? Like I should have, but no, I listened to everyone saying like, no, it's for like, you have to be like a drug dealer to accept Bitcoin. Like it was ridiculous. And yeah, there probably was obviously a lot of drug dealers with Bitcoin. And now they're probably like, dang, I made the right decision or something. But uh, I definitely am, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird world with uh, organized crimes. And also, like, a lot of people say NFTs are, like, a way to do money laundering. So, like, it is a way to put money somewhere without, you know, it used to be, like, you deal drugs and own, like, a car washing or something, you know? Like, but now it's, like, I purchased a board ape. It's 
it's a weird world, but it's, I think it, it's with anything. So it's really like you can have money and also buy a, a Shake Shack or something. Like you can have an ice cream stand and still be money laundering. So it's really with anything. There's bad and good. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make. Like if we're talking about monitoring the system, it, it's the same as in the physical world. There's still going to need to be certain measures in place and you're still going to have problems actually tracking people who are using it for less than ideal purposes. So not much different. It makes me think of like, you know, the new regulations that want to be in place with like the IRS and wanting to see our bank statements. And if we have over $600 in our bank account and all that type of stuff, like, you know, all of this is always going to be happening. There's always going to be people that put their money somewhere else. You're never going to get away from it. They're going to buy an island. They're going to buy like something internationally. So it, it really is like, I, again, I just think the beauty in it is the community based. Um, but I think in the digital world where people don't know, like, you know, now or before cryptocurrency, but continuing people like elderly people will get phone calls being like, you know, this invoice is paid. Thank you. And then they call and they're like, I want my $700 back. And they're like, okay, like give us your card information and we'll take care of this. And it's fake. All of it's fake. So like that's happening on the internet where people are like, Ooh, we can send you a board eight for $5 or, you know, some kind of like get rich quick and people are going to fall for it. And regardless, always people are going to fall for everything as long as people know like don't open links ask your friends ask someone like is this legit and stop trusting random people it's a buyer beware anywhere you are 100 percent um so i want to talk a little bit more about um your involvement so you told us that your wife is also an artist uh which is really cool so have you or your wife actually sold any no, we haven't because I am not famous. And that's actually like a point I want to make too in the NFT world is like, it is really irritating that, you know, my wife is like a collected artist. Like she has really amazing homes that her pieces are in with letters of authenticity in like all around California and elsewhere. And still people aren't going to be like, I want to buy her NFT because it's like, right now I think the world of NFTs is so project-based and so and it's it's kind of irritating from like an artist's point of view because you know like her collectors aren't on OpenSea right now you know like they're not in that world they're kind of in their own world of physical artwork and that's fine I mean you know it is what it is but at the same time it's just like right now it feels like you have to be famous to or an influencer or have like hundreds of thousands of people like want to get in on it which is already what we've been doing with Instagram like getting followers and like you know getting the option or the ability to have like something paid by posting a video so it is irritating and um, I do hope that world changes because it would be nice to like have your NFTs sold just based on you as an artist um, that doesn't have to like pull together an entire like funded project to like market out there. Um, but then again, there there definitely are other people that you know are selling their work and um, 
I haven't researched enough to like how to market, you know, um, your NFTs, but I hope that I will. But in the meantime, what I like about it, besides just selling it, is just having that ownership of digital piece. Do you think that the advertising, so to say, of your NFT artwork is just getting people to the right marketplace? Like just making people aware, like would it be OpenSea? They could come to OpenSea. They could scroll through work and find yours. I saw that on your website, you have those six images that are your current collection. So is it just directing people to the the right resources to do the shopping in a different way? I think so. Um, I also think of like how many people are wanting NFTs right now. And majority are people wanting a quick flip. Like they want to like buy something for $800 and then basically like sell it for $2.2 million in like a year. So it really is people looking for something they can flip versus like, okay, this is Avery. Like I love her work and I do want to own her NFT because just like buying artwork and buying physical artwork, you know, like NFT flipping is the same thing as buying a physical piece of artwork. Like if I want to buy this piece, I know because I believe in this artist and I believe that they're going to be like a collected artist, that that piece is going to be more valuable in the future as an asset. So like, I hope that people will start viewing NFTs as assets in their digital wallets versus like something that they can just like, you know, have and then flip it. And I think there's just like, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. But in my point of view, it's, it's definitely like, especially coming from the art world, it's wanting to buy pieces because I believe solely in that artist's work that I want to have that digital asset in my wallet. Are these artworks being priced the same as you would see in the digital, I'm sorry, in the physical space? Um, what What is like the price, average price point for these items? So um, like, yes and no. Um, I have seen that obviously because of, you know, NFTs being such a hot topic, um, I really feel like they are being sold for like millions of dollars. And that's not something in the actual art world that, you know, we're used to unless you have like a Basquiat or, you know, a Picasso. Like those are the millions of dollars of things that people are going to be spending their money in on in the art world. Um, but there definitely are NFTs that are $800, um, $1,000 that will become valuable. Um but there also are NFTs that are like $30 and $40. So like, they're definitely the same. I would say they're pretty much the same, but I think the difference is being in the digital world. It's just, you have a wider audience than you do just being like an artist in your studio and not kind of like putting your work out into the digital world. I think the difference is definitely being digital. And in general, and the audience that comes from that, because, you know, if like Basquiat had been alive and did an NFT, you know, that was like, go people go crazy for that and probably would sell more than his actual physical artwork because it's like more obtainable for people. Like it's transferred differently. It's not like shipping, like in the art world, shipping is like awful to deal with, especially like, is it going to break? Is it like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I also have this thought before coming on here um, about the differences in physical art because 
you know, we want to wake up every morning and like have a beautiful home to like walk around and drink our coffee or whatever and see like the artwork that we purchased or that we made. And then I was like, oh, wait, it's like, are architects going to make like digital walls now? Like, are we going to see like our NFTs in our homes? Like, is that where this is headed? So like people might ask now, like, what is the difference between physical and digital? And like, will they become the same thing? That's like a real big question to ask because, you know, we're today, but in 10 years is, you know, are you going to walk into your apartment and this architect made like, this is a digital wall for your NFTs and like, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh my God, I never bought one. And I should. (laughs) That's a great idea. You should probably get on that. (laughs) I think I'm just going to end this now. I have a call to make. (laughs) Just joking. Yeah, for real. We're just going to clip that out just for copyright reasons. So you can keep the idea. We don't want to share it with anyone. I think just like where it's headed though, you know, um, especially with how big it yeah. is and already being in the like metaverse, there are art galleries that are showcasing NFTs and just like the physical world, having an exhibition, people are going to these places and, you know, it's just another way to get your name out there. So as you had asked before, like about my artwork and selling and stuff, like I not only am looking for like exhibitions physically for my artwork, but also in the NFT world, I want to look for artwork in the metaverse or art galleries in the metaverse that are, are going to show my work as well, which I think right now, you know, with it being so project-based with like board dates and all that stuff, like I am very interested in like how art galleries are going to handle NFTs for artists that are coming out with NFTs and not just like the 10,000 invisible friends or something like that. An NFT project where it's like 10,000 of them, like my series is only 10 editions of one thing for one of my NFT series. So I'm not going to take 10,000 pictures and put them on there. Like I want to also have the say in like how, I meant my NFTs. I don't want to always have to follow like how people are doing it. 10,000 of this only. Like this is my series. I'm a photographer. This is how I do it in the real world. This is how I'll do it in the NFT world. Are there any tips? Are there any things you would recommend for people who are in this space, who are curious about this space that you would leave us with to try to push more female identifying people into the space and, and, give us power like what what would you say about that I would say female identifying need to get in it now because I am so like I'm not gonna say annoyed but like like how it's always been with you know male dominance and stuff so just like embrace the change and not not like in a horrifying change way but like what can you do to be a part of this and like make it a better space for women to be in? Because I would love for more women to ask questions and um, be a part of it and like be badass and like sell your artwork as NFTs. Come on. You know, it doesn't always have to be so male dominant, but I think that a lot of women are just like kind of, um, intimidated with it which I was I think there's like an intimidation um with how confusing it is and the different words and different terminology it's just like google and like ask your friends and like 
get involved because um then I do have a lot of male friends too that are like I have no idea what you're talking about and I don't really want to get involved and it's I'm like okay well I do like I don't want to be behind I want to learn more about it because of how big it is going to be but also I I want to like a leg up in it I want to be like involved and I think that I do think more women need to be involved in it and um find a way that helps benefit them in the process. Are there any resources you could recommend, like um, any websites that you know of, any groups that you know that people could kind of look into for some, like, real knowledge, not the fake stuff? Um, I, I'm i a Redditor. So when I have questions, I get on my Reddit threads, and I ask those people a lot because um, – Again, just like the community-based, there's so much information out there. It is really difficult to understand, you know, what's real, what's not real. And I think that Reddit gives you that space to be anonymous and ask like straight up, like, I have no idea what this is. Can you let me know? And I suggest Reddit because, you know, as crazy as Reddit is, sometimes there are really great people who are just like there to help. Um but also, like, you know, the Facebook groups that I think, you know, we're all in. I think uh, just asking people, um, but I don't have, no, I don't have, like, any actual websites to go to. They all say kind of, like, different stuff, but. What was the Facebook community that you were talking about? I'm in so many Facebook communities, um, which I found has been, like, amazing, but, like, Ladies of Los Angeles, where I met Katie, like, you know, uh, I'm in, like, Women of Marketing, uh, I'm in, like, some photography ones, so uh, there's a lot of people that ask questions on there, and there's really no, I will say, cryptocurrency is different for the Facebook community world, um, I'm in, like, a Shiba Inu coin community, and I just want to get out of it, because constantly like it's not the moderators are not doing good because it'll just be like buy this now like what's and a lot of people like what's happening has anyone taken their money out I'm like the crypto market's down like you're just gonna have to wait like it'll go back up it fluctuates just like calm down (laughs) um so Avery to kind of wrap up this episode we really like to give our guests like a quick little platform to be able to say what they want to say. Um, So can you let people know where they can find you and then um, give the listeners something to, to think about? Like if you could have them walk away with one thought, what would you want them to think? Um, You can find me. I mean, I have a website, averyjkline.com, which is my artwork. And then I am on Instagram at avery.jpg. Um, But if I could walk away with this, really, it would be to ask yourself how much you value your artwork and like, um, think about how accessible is your, is your art to people in a bad way? Like, you know, if you value your work and it's like, it's like having a a child basically, do you just want to like keep posting it around and like letting these centralized companies have it? Or are you wanting to have a say and an ownership of your work and the possibility of selling that work for how much you value your work for? So 
I would really just, um, and this was asking yourself a lot about value and value in art and ownership of your art. Yeah, I think that's super important. We so appreciate having you on this podcast. You've, my mind is like, like trying to escape my brain. Like there's like so much to think about and there's like so much that you want to do. Um, but this was, this is definitely a great starting point for somebody who's new and interested, but not sure if they should make the move. So I hope that you're able to help push people into that space a little bit more. Um, we really appreciate your time, Avery. And, um, yeah, this has just been so wonderful. We thank you so much. Thank you guys for giving me the ability to talk about it. I know it's not something that, you know, you don't have to be like the famous person, but just like start somewhere. That's, that's it. Thank you.